so good to be together once again. As always, on the first day of the week, we make it a point to come together and to worship the Lord. And once again, that day is today. And so we are excited to have you here. We're excited that you have made the decision to come. This morning, as we get into our lesson, I would encourage you to consider knowing God through His Word. I think of verses like 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 where we're told, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Not only do we need to know God's Word, but we want to know God's Word. Not only do we want to know God's Word, but we want to help the world to know God through His Word. So today as we consider... Knowing God through His Word, we sing the song, Give Me the Bible. I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 where it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, uh, but rightly dividing the word of truth. But because he studied, he can know what he ought to be. If we're going to be what we ought to be, we've got to look into God's Word. Today, as we consider... Knowing God through His Word, first I want to consider that of the creation. In John chapter 1, which was read a little bit ago, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, referring back to the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. We can see in the creation account how important the Word was from the very beginning. Within the creation account, I realize that in the world today, there's been this great confusion trying to figure out, well, how did the world come into being? We've come up with this, this great big idea that there's this evolution period that took place, an evolutionary process that took place, and the world says, hey, through this evolutionary process, now all of a sudden we have everything we have which we see. Within the creation process, though, the creation is probably the greatest proof of God we have within the creation process i think of romans chapter 1 and verse 20 where it where it points back to that creation process and it says for since the creation of the world his talking about god's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they're without excuse as we look around in the world and we see that the grass grows we see that the sun goes down and the sun rises we see that the animals are able to eat of the fruit of the ground to eat of that grass we see that the animals then become they be, then become food for other animals we see that the birth process takes place and that that each animal repro reproduces after its kind we see all the intricate details of god's creation yesterday i was talking to grant we were talking about the the physical body and he's studying phys the physical body in college and as he talks about the physical body he said that they, they talk about how they understand so much and they understand so much more. And in his book, they, they like to think that they understand sometimes more than they really do. But yet still with all the under things that we understand, with all the science that, that we've come to understand within the human body, there's still things we can't understand. And within the super complex details of the body, we can understand there had to be a designer there had to be somebody behind it all because it's not possible that all these things just fell into place perfectly it's not 
It's not just one thing where the sun showed up and since the sun was there and it divided from the night that all of a sudden plants started to grow. But rather, when God created that, he also created after that the animals that could eat and live off of it. We see that through in the creation of everything, God's design is shown. Within the complexity of the earth, we can see or know God because of the creation. We can see God's power in creation. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's as simple as that. When you look at the, the creation account, we've got the being, the force that makes it happen. I think of all the different, different things that we see within the creation account, how, how we've got the first six days and all the things that are made. I think of Psalm 33 and verse 6. It says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Just by God speaking, we see the great power that is seen within God. Within his ability to create everything by the breath of his mouth. I think of Psalm 33 verse 9. It says, For he spake and it was done. He commanded and all the hosts. I mean, he commanded and it stood fast. And everything took place just as God has intended. All things we see take place by the power of God. Within, within our looking around in the world today, I think of the greatest picture that was ever painted. I think of the greatest picture that was ever taken, and it just so happens that as you look at pictures and, and things that have taken place, there's a lot of people that paint pictures of the horizon, trying to show the great beauty that God put in it from the beginning. You see pictures that are taken that try and express the great beauty within God's creation. We can look around at the animals. We can look at the plants. We can look at the sky. Everything that we see, and we see the great process that took place by God. We mentioned John chapter 1 in the, the scripture reading where in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was there within that of the creation account. The word that we can study today to know God's will was there in the creation being God's will carried out. So as we think about knowing God through his word, I think about the creation account and how we can know God in the things that we see all around us. We know God by his, his power to create in a six-day period. We see that it wasn't, it wasn't some millions of years, nor what did it take a a special blow-up thing where everything continually changed and things progressed into something else, but rather we see that God took six days, and on the seventh day it says God rested. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. We see God's creation account taking, period, taking place over this period of time. I think of Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 25 it says, Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, talking about God, seeing he giveth life and breath to all things. God didn't necessarily need us, but yet without us, God survived. Without God, man never did anything. So we see the, the link that we have the requirement of having God in our lives, and yet God didn't have that same requirement. He was here from the beginning. 
And so within the creation account, we can understand that we know God through his word. The word, the creator, the God himself. Not only do we know God through his word, but we see also through the lineage. As you look at God's, God's plan, he gave a seed line promise. And it was made in multiple times throughout scripture. The promise came, uh, you can look back in Genesis chapter 3 and we see that as Eve sinned in the garden, when as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God, God talks to them, and in, John, in Genesis 3, verse 15, it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, talking about that seed, and it says, It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We see the, the first reference to the coming of the Christ. We see a, a promise later in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, where he makes the promise to Abraham, then you can go forward in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18 as Abraham being there willing to offer Isaac, his son. He once again lays out the, the promise to Abraham. I guess he was Abram in uh, Genesis 12, 1. But in, in Genesis 22, he once again lays out the, the promise how that through his seed, through the seed of Abraham, all nations would be blessed. Today we stand here blessed because of that seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The promise that took place in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. The promise in Genesis 22 and verse 18, and many more times throughout Scripture, they talks about the seed of David, referring to the Christ that would come. And so we see that throughout the seed line, there are there is a promise for us today. We can look back at as you consider the seed line, there's many times that they are laid out in Scripture. You can go back to Genesis chapter 5, for instance, and it talks about the, t the timeline from Adam to Noah. And we see how, how that, it, that it links. Understanding that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that the promise was made that through Eve the Christ would come. We see that as we get through later in Genesis chapter 11, uh, we've got Shem to Abraham in Genesis chapter 11, and then you can come all the way forward to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, as you read through Matthew chapter 1, we see that the genealogy takes place from Abraham to Christ, fulfilling that promise in Genesis chapter 12. How that this being the Christ, we see the importance of the word. Now as we think about the, the genealogy, as we think about the Christ coming into the world, we understand that there's a seed line promise for us. But it just so happens that later as the temple was destroyed and the records were destroyed that there was, there was no longer a seed line where we can look back and we say, well, which cousin am I to Christ? Or how am I related to him? How am I related to Abraham? How am I related to any of them? And the point is, because that doesn't matter. I believe if it mattered today, God would have preserved those records. God would have made it so that we could have that link back and say, oh, well, you're related because your great Aunt Susie Q was married to so-and-so. But that's not the case. In fact, there's something much, much better than this. In Galatians chapter 4, in verse 4, we have our seed line to Christ. In Galatians chapter 4, in verse 4 it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman under the law, and notice, 
to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So when you look back at all those special genealogies, I'm not reading through any of them, but as you look back through those genealogies, we see how that so-and-so begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so. And you think about all the different relationships that transpire and the families that, that we see their heritage. And then you go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5, and you see your seed line. Because as we've got the Christ, it says as the adoption of sons, we then become a part of the family. We then become a part of the seed line. We are able to know God. We are able to be linked to God through the genealogy, through the blood of Christ. Now, not only do we, we know God through that, that seed line, as we see through the word and through the creation, but we also know God because of the Christ. As you think about the Christ, there are many things that, that transpire. That seed line, the whole point was to bring us to the Christ. And without the Christ, that seed line was pointless. Without the Christ, there would be no adoption for us. And so how do we know the Christ through his word? You know, as you look back at Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin and shall, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now this is, this is way before Jesus was alive. This is way before Mary had, had conceived this child within, within her. And then you skip forward hundreds of years and in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, it says, Behold, making reference back to what was spoken, he says, this is, this is what's taking place. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is, which is translated God with us. They were recognizing what was taking place. The promise that was to take place in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 is now taking place in Matthew chapter 1. Not only was, can we know that this is the Christ but through God's word because he was born of a virgin, but we also can recognize the birthplace. In Micah chapter 5, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, it says, Yet out of you shall, shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting to everlasting. We see that, we see that it's going to be from this small town or this small place, Bethlehem. Uh, you see that it would take place, that it would transpire, and it just so happens that everything falls into place because of God's plan that Joseph and Mary have to make a trip. They go to Bethlehem so that it can be fulfilled because the governor put out a decree that they must go there. It says in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1 in the fulfillment, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, we see that the scripture was fulfilled. John chapter 7 and verse 42 says, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David from the town of Bethlehem? We see once again the fulfillment of prophecy. We see prophecy how that Christ would be betrayed. He'd be betrayed by his friends. And it was going to be over 30 pieces of silver. Psalm chapter 41 and verse 9, we 
We see that it, they lifted up the heel against them. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 through 13, they, they call out that 30 pieces of silver. And then as the story goes, we understand in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 15, they counted out the 30 pieces of silver for Judas as he was set to betray the Lord. And also we see that Jesus was rejected. In Psalm chapter 2 and verse 1, it was pointed out that he would be rejected. As Christ came to his own, he's going to be rejected by mankind. And then we find him nailed to a cross. In John chapter 6 and verse 66, we see the reference to Jesus being rejected. But most importantly today, I want to talk to you for just a couple minutes about knowing God's word or knowing God through the crucifixion. If there's one thing that, that brings apart uh, feelings, if there's something that, that breaks your heart, that breaks you open, that, that brings you to tears, I think about the crucifixion and how we can know God because of the crucifixion. Once again, it was something that was, it was prophesied of, and then we, we see the fulfillment of it. But as we look at the crucifixion, you can read through Luke chapter 23, and you see all the terrible things that take place. We see all the mockery and all the things that happened to our Lord when he'd done nothing wrong, when he'd done nothing to deserve it. We see that he's silent against his accusers. We see his suffering. We see the piercing of his hands and his feet. We see the insults and the mocking. We see that as the, he is poked in the side and, and the blood and the water comes forth and we see no bone broken. We see all these different things that transpire at the crucifixion, understanding that this is further proof he was the Lord. If we want to know God through his word... We can study his word and we'll see that everything points to he was the Messiah, the one that came to live and to die so that we could truly live. Within Christ coming to the cross and being willing to give his life, we see God's great purpose. In John 3.16 he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see really the purpose didn't have anything to do with Christ. The purpose was Christ's purpose for us because he wanted us to have hope. I think about each one of us today and how we can have hope through that death. But the question is, are we going to put our trust in him? You know, in Luke 19.10 it says, For the Son of Man is not... Come, it, I mean, it says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost, meaning he cared about me. I think about how that, that we deserve death, but by the grace of God, by the gift of God, we can be saved because Christ's blood was shed for us. In considering the crucifixion, we understand that the crucifixion is the only thing that gave us access to the blood, gave us access to the family which we are adopted into. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, In Him, making reference to Christ, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. We can have forgiveness of sins because 
of what Christ did for me. As I think about the great sacrifice, I think about the need that I have to know God through his word. I think about the need that the world has for me to share what we know from God's word. I mentioned earlier 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 how, how we've got to be ready always to give an answer. We've got to be ready to defend our Lord. We've got to be ready to tell others about the great sacrifice that was offered for us. Not only do we see that the crucifixion gave us access to his blood, but in giving access to his blood, it gives us access to hope. There's hope for tomorrow because the Christ died for us. There is hope for tomorrow because Christ is the one that gave us hope. I think of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he goes on to explain, he says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I've seen it said before, and you and you and you and you and you. The point is, Christ gave hope to mankind through the blood that was shed. And now it comes to us, are we willing to be partakers of it? I think of Christ as he instituted the Lord's Supper, how that we could come together and remember the blood that was shed so that we could have hope. I think about each one here today, as you think about knowing God through the Bible, we've got to focus on the hope that is found within God's Word. Understanding that everything that we study from the Old Testament points to that of the New Testament how that Christ could give hope for us today. My question today is, have you been adopted into the family of God? Now we talked about lineage, we talked about, we talked about the seed line that transpires, but the question is, are you in the seed line? And if you think that I think that you need to look in there and try and figure out through Ancestry.com who you're related to, you're missing the point. The point is the relationships have already transpired. The relationship has taken place and the Christ is here. So it's no longer about who your mom and dad is, but rather now it's who's your adoptive father. Are you adopted into the family of God? That's only going to take place by the blood that was shed, which brings you in. If you haven't given your life to Christ this morning, I want you to consider carefully the steps that must be taken. Understanding that Jesus was the Christ as you look back at the Old Testament, how it points through prophecy to the New Testament, how they're fulfilled in the coming of the Christ, we can understand that this is the Messiah. That ought to bring us to the thought where well, if that was Jesus, what do I have to do to be a part of Jesus? You know, immediately after crucifying Jesus, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, they were told, repent, you need to make a change. Obviously, their problem was that they had just killed the Christ, not understanding who it was. But yet, the, the main overall theme being the problem is sin. In Luke 13, 3, they say, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Go back down two verses and he repeats the verse again. 
We see the great need for us to repent, to turn from sin, because we understand that the wages of sin is death. Being willing to confess Christ as our Lord, and as I consider confession, understand that it's a lifelong attribute. It's something that we do among the world as we go out and we tell the world about the gospel-saving message. Being willing to go into the water to come up a new person. We see how baptism and the washing of sins are related. But don't think it stops there because it's not one and done. Within Christ's plan, you're beginning a life where you live for Him. We can know God through His Word, but it requires that we study it. It requires that we share it, and it requires that we live it. Within, within the Christian life, there is a new lifestyle where we live in a way in which other people see the love of a Christian and then desire to do the same. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I beg you this morning, make the change. Come as we stand and sing.